Hello. That wasn't loud enough. Y'all having fun yet? Oh no, that week. Come on, you heard on ACB Radio Worldwide. Let's let them hear you. Are you having fun yet? That's better. <laughs> so welcome to the 2019 Showcase of the Performing Arts. We're glad to have all of you. As some of you know from attending showcases in the past year, um, John Dashney was a staple up here year after year. John was an unparalleled storyteller, a strong advocate, I can't even say that, for all performers, and a true friend in art. Therefore, we dedicate this 2019 showcase to John Braden Dashney. Although we have no more new stories, we will treasure the ones he left with us. What better way to begin this show than to hear him once again tell one of our favorites. And so here we go. R.I.P. John Dashney. Here he is. The Ballad of Big Ben's Boots. Well, now there never was a logger like Big Bad Ben. Stood six foot nine, weighed about three ten. Bristles on his beard like binder twine, and legs big around as a lodgepole pine. His nose jutted out like a big old spur, and his arms was the size of second-growth fur. And his eyes could freeze you with just one look, while his hands grabbed and held like a peavy hook. His personal hygiene wasn't all that good. Ben didn't take a bath quite as often as he should, maybe once a year twice at the most, and it had always been Ben's boast that he had never once changed his underwear. When it crumbled away, he'd just add a new pair. And whether he was sober or whether he was drunk, Ben's breath smelled like he'd been eating raw skunk. So for reasons that appear to be perfectly sound, folks didn't much care to have old Ben around. Now there was only one thing that Ben admired, and that was his boots. And he never got tired of cleaning and rubbing them every night with mink oil grease just to keep them watertight. And the corks on the bottom were just little spikes. They were sharp as needles or miniature pikes. He could ride the logs with them right down the river. And the folks in town would shake and shiver when Ben showed up on a Saturday night with his boots all polished and looking for a fight. Now one night, he came looking for Fiddler Jim saying... I'm going to do a number on him, cause I don't like to listen to the music and no fiddle and watch folks hop around like they got a running piddle. But the townsfolk all told him, Ben, you've come too late. Old Fiddler Jim has done, met his fate. He's cashed in his chips, he's crossed the divide. Or to put it more plainly, old Jim's up and died. Doggone, says Ben. Now that's a rotten thing to do. Why, I've been up in the woods for a month or two just thinking about when I'd meet up with old Jim and all the fun I'd have a stomping on him. I got my boots all polished and ready to kick. Never thought old Jim would pull such a trick. Why'd he want to go and die that away? 
I'll bet he did it just to ruin my day. Well, he's gone, they told him. It's sad, but it's true. We planted him last Tuesday, so there's nothing you can do. Yes, there is, says Ben. If he's dead, then I expect to go on up to his house and uh, pay my last respects. I'll just make myself at home. And the townspeople cried, You'd stay in the house of a man who just died? Why, why ain't you got no fear of the dead? Not of old Jim, was all Ben said. So Ben walked up the hill to the fiddler's place with a glint in his eye and a sneer on his face, kicked open the door and ambled inside and stood for a moment trying to decide, <laughs> what should I do? Where should I start? Should I wreck the place and tear it all apart? Or maybe I... Well, hey, <laughs> looky there. There's old Fiddler Jim's favorite chair sitting right next to a fireplace full of wood. <laughs> nice warm fire would feel mighty good on a night like this. Reckon I'll just sit and warm my tired old feet for a bit. So Ben lit the fire and took off his boots and took out his flask and took a couple toots. Ah, he said, this does feel kind of good. Jim, if you could hear me, I'd thank you. Yes, I would. But I reckon that you've gone where we all go, rich or poor. Still, I wish I could have waited till it whopped you just once more. But look a here, Jim, even if you're just a ghost, I reckon you're being a mighty poor host, ignoring your company this away. If you got a ghostly fiddle, then why don't you play? And Ben gave a laugh, not expecting no reply, and lifted up his flask again because uh, he was kind of dry. But the room got colder as Ben took a nip of gin, and, and then he heard the music of a ghostly violin. Now it seemed to come from someplace way up in the air. Ben looked all around, but he couldn't spot it anywhere. And then it drifted lower till it danced around his chair. Play on. The logger muttered, I ain't moving. I don't scare. Well, the music stopped, and Ben sat wondering what would happen next. And then his left boot gave a little hop, just as if it had been hexed. It hovered in the air a foot or so above the floor, then came back down, and everything was silent as before. Then the right boot rose up like the left one had done. Old Jim's ghost, it seems, was planning a little fun. Something gave a little twitch down at the toes, and then the laces tied themselves in neat little bows. Ben's face got red, and, and when he spoke, his voice was cold and flat. You've done put on my boots, he said. No ghost gets away with that. Well, the music started up again, and, and the boots began to dance. Ben sat there watching him like a man stuck in a trance, but, but then he rose up again, straight like a tree, calculating as he did where Jim's chin ought to be. Ben threw a punch that would have killed most anyone anywhere, anyone alive, that is, but all Ben hit was air. Then the boot rose up, and those needle-sharp corks came down with a crunch on Ben's smelly socks. Show yourself, Ben Holler. Come on and fight me fair. But Jim remained invisible, just like a puff of air. Ben's other foot got stomped, and before he could begin to yell, a boot drew back and kicked him in the shin. 
Ben grabbed his shin and yelled with rage, snarl like a wildcat caught in a cage, hopped on one leg around the floor, and then that boot rose up once more and kicked his other shin, and then uh, up went that leg and down went Ben. Flat on his stomach with a thump and a whack, and the boots came down on the small of his back. Well, the music started up again, and old Ben swore as Jim's ghost started in a dance once more, a quick little jig up and down Ben's spine, always to the music and always in time. Then the boots came down with a whack and a thump and a one-two stomp on poor Ben's rump. Enough, Ben hollered. I got sense enough to know when I been whooped. Let me up, and I'll go. So Ben ran out of the fiddler's house and down the hill like a scared little mouse, ran through the town in his stocking feet, and all the townsfolk watching had themselves a treat when they saw them boots a-chasing him, and at every single jump they'd land another kick on Ben's battered rump. Maybe it was fitting, and I think it kind of suits. You see, Ben was kicked out of town with his very own boots. hope you guys enjoyed that. I'm going to sit down and enjoy the show after I introduced your co-host. You're in good hands with our treasurer from Kansas, none other than the great and wonderful Michael Byington. And Lynn is giving me the honor of introducing my lovely co-host. I need to explain something, though. The last time I emceed a showcase, it was because a bunch of people had some medical problems and couldn't be here. And so I got to co-host the showcase with my wife because only the Lynx and the Byntons had shown up from the officer's corps for FIA that year. It was kind of a, a thin year, although we did manage to get a showcase taken care of. Well, this year we found out that Mike Mandel had a little bit of medical testing, and uh, we found out that uh, uh, his uh, co-host that we had planned on, I believe that was Nancy Pendergraf, wasn't going to be able to come either because of some family obligations. So I told uh, Lynn when she asked me about hosting that I would need a substitute Anne this year. <laughs> and and uh, Giopetta... Uh, is uh, up to that task entirely, and I'm going to let Ann tell you about herself. But I do need to explain first that when we were talking about this, and I said, oh, good, I can have Ann as a substitute Ann. <laughs> well, I found out that Jim's husband, Jerry, is a border control agent and has had much police officer training. And when he heard me say that, he came up and said, you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> Anything you can and say will be used against you. But the lovely Angie Petta, who you will hear perform some of her poetry later on, published author, uh, gave a great reading last night in prose and poetry, is my lovely co-host, and she is going to introduce herself, and uh, then let's see. Which one of us is introducing the first act? You are. I guess I am. Yeah. So you, you tell about yourself, my dear. Uh, 
Good evening, everybody. Let's hear it for ACB. Woo! Friends in art, keep going more, 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 louder. Yeah. How about that? All right. Um, I'm Ann Chapetta. I'm, I'm a board member of Friends in Art, and I'm so happy to be here tonight. Uh, I, I'm a published author and poet, but um, I'm also um, a member of ACB, a proud member. Um, I've been a member for quite a few years now, and I couldn't be in a better place. So here's to Rochester, and here's to the show. All right. Take it, Michael. All right. Thank you very much. And I am truly and sincerely honored to introduce this first gentleman, particularly someone who is a, uh, a veteran of the armed forces. Uh, he lost his vision during uh, his uh, service. Uh, and today, Viva and uh, FIA co-hosted a luncheon where he showcased a film that he has made. He is the first totally blind filmmaker to our knowledge in the United States. A wonderful film uh, dealing with the issues of veteran suicide and what we can do about it. Uh, and uh, let's see, did we put the name of the film down here? I've Why got, can't we, sir? I've got a card in my pocket. Oh, no, it's not in my pocket. Help me out. Uh, help me out, Marty. The film is called Why Can't We Serve? Ah, very good. Thank you very much, sir. And he is also a consummate guitarist, and he's going to do a, uh, a song which is in the movie, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, without further ado, the great and patriotic Mr. Marty Klein. Thank you. And just so all of you know, the song, a veteran's anthem, uh, I wrote to try to help uh, veterans and for all people, for that matter, focus on life and not death. I have the will to survive. If I get what I need to stay alive And I don't indulge in feeling so deprived I gotta make a move to get myself satisfied Satisfied And you have the will to survive Yes, you do If you get what you need to stay alive That's right And you're you done in love You're feeling so deprived You gotta make a move to get yourself Get yourself satisfied 
When you don't indulge in feeling so deprived, you've got to get yourself satisfied. Satisfied. All right, I will survive if I get what I need to stay alive. And I don't indulge in feeling, feeling so deprived. I will survive if I get what I need to stay alive. And I don't indulge in feeling, feeling so deprived. <laughs> Sing along with me. I will survive if I get what I need to stay alive. And I don't indulge in feeling, feeling so deprived. I will survive if I get what I need to stay alive. And I don't indulge in feeling, feeling so deprived. I will survive if I get what I need to stay alive. And I don't indulge in feeling. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I promised a bit of a housekeeping duty, which is very, very important. Mr. or Miss Bartender, are you back there? Shout out. Okay, now you heard that sweet little voice say, okay, back there. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, being an orientation and mobility specialist by uh, profession when I'm not doing silly stuff, uh, it is my pleasure to give you an orientation to the most important feature of the room. We've got great sound technicians, so it doesn't make any difference where you are in the room. You're going to hear the show just fine. But if you want a libation, you need to walk to the back of the room. And I'm not going to use cardinal directions because some people don't like cardinal directions. Am I right? I thought that would be the case. All right. Oh, okay. Now, somebody says... That they can just raise their arm and uh, that and that she'll do a running uh, service for you, and that's a good thing too. Except I do think they do charge just a few of those little green things for the drinks, so <laughs> you better send some money with her if you're going to do that. Am I right? Yes. Okay, absolutely. But if you want to go supervise the mixology of the libation that you are having then what I want you to do is walk to the back of the room, and as you face the exit doors, don't leave, but turn left and trail that wall back to the back left corner of the room, and the lovely bartender back there, I can't see her from here, but she sounded beautiful. 
she will take care of you and be glad to relieve you of some of that filthy lucre that you don't want polluting your wallet anyway. Alrighty. Now, Anne was supposed to introduce the next act, but when Lynn and I printed all this out, it was about one o'clock in the morning and we got something out of order and I forgot to give Anne the changes. So I get to introduce this act and then she's gonna do two in a row. Miss Tabitha Brecky of Auburn, Alabama is going to do the geometry song. Thank you. This is a little story about a woman and how shapes, well, you could say they impacted her life. Completely round is the perfect pearl The oyster manufactures Completely round is the steering wheel That leads to compound fractures Completely round is the golden fruit That hangs from the orange tree Yes, the circle shape is quite renowned and I'm sad to say that it can be found in the low down dirty run around that my true love gave to me that my true love gave to me a perfect square is the velvet box he said my ring would be in A perfect square is the envelope He said farewell to me in A perfect square is the handkerchief I flourish constantly As I dry my eyes from the tears I've shed and blow my nose till it turns bright red for a perfect square is my true love's head he will not marry me no he will not marry me rectangular is the hotel door which i tried to sneak through Rectangular is the transom ore which I tried to peek through. Rectangular is the hotel room I entered angrily. And rectangular is the wooden box where lies my love neath the golden flocks. They say he died of the chicken pox. In part, I must agree. One chick too many had he. Triangular is the piece of pie I eat to ease my sorrow. Triangular is the hatchet blade I plan to hide tomorrow. Triangular is the relationship that now has ceased to be. 
And triangular is the garment thin That fastens up with a safety pin To a prize I had no wish to win It's a lasting memory Actually, while I'm still up here, please y'all help me thank Jason Castanguay for playing for us all. It's so fabulous to have him. Actually, we were going to do that, but thank you for doing it for us. Okay, everybody. Um, first, I want to thank Justin, uh, Jason Castanguay for his piano company accompaniment and all his work on, on the keyboard. So everybody give him a big hand. Thank you, Jason. So next up is Carrie Hooper from Elmira, New York, and she's going to perform in the good old summertime. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Um, since I'm doing a song about summer, well, I decided to put on a nice summer costume. So I'm wearing an outfit called a romper. And if, you're, if you want to know more about it, you can ask me uh, later. But this is a, a song to celebrate summer. So here we go.
you, Carrie. Okay, everybody. We're going to change from some music to some, some, uh, some poetry. Joe Sorensen from Albuquerque, New Mexico, is going to um, recite one of his original poems. We're getting the traffic cleared so Joe can make it up on stage. <laughs> all right, Joe. We were going to run people on one side of the stage and off the other, but they all want to seem to go down that side, and that's just fine with us. So it, it keeps our, uh, our runner that's helping people get on and off the stage, Mr. Victor Roy, very busy. But I want to tell you a little bit about Victor. Victor lives in Ocean City, California. Oceanside. Oceanside, California. It's what I get for doing this from memory. And Victor is now the city treasurer of, Open, of Oceanside. He has for many years volunteered at ACB, helping us all get from place to place throughout most of the week. But he has told us many times that his highlight of the week is helping get people on and off stage for the showcase. And he assured me that this year, he told Janet Dickelman, now I didn't come all the way from California to volunteer without being assured that I can do the showcase. <laughs> to my all knowledge, right. Victor doesn't have any reason for giving up a week to do this for us, except that he's just a heck of a good guy. Yeah. Thank you, Victor. And when he handed me his new business card, I thought at first that it had a complexion problem. There were itty-bitty bumps all over it. Oh, boy! Does anybody know a name for those? Braille. That's right. He told the folks that he was not going to accept the job without Braille business cards. Not because he knows a lot of blind people, but because it speaks to access to information in the community that we all have a right to, and that's the kind of guy Victor is. Yes. Thank you. Woo. Okay. Thank you very much. I guess it's my turn. Okay. Mike's side here. This is Joe in the know. And I have this little original poem. I think I'd like to call this my signature poem. Anyway, it's called Microphone. Oh, microphone, oh, microphone, where are you? I can't find you. Where are you at? Oh, to be or not to be? Oh, like me like Shakespeare, Hamlet or Macbeth. They didn't have microphones back then, but they got them now. Where are you, microphone? Hello, Joe. I am your friend, the microphone, right here. You remembered many radio stations and studios in Minneapolis and St. Paul. I was there right with you. And in Albuquerque at 1550 on the AM dial. And of course, classical KHFM. I was right there and spun your voice all over. And not only that, Chow, but when you emceed on stages all over the United States and gospel musicals, and I would laugh so hard because people were so afraid. 
You were going to trip and fall down over those cords because you can't see. And you were trying to tell them, no, 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 no. I, I want to skate and all kinds of things like that. You don't have to be afraid that because I can't see, you're going to fall. No, no, Joe, I know you tried so hard. I am the microphone, your friend, and your friend this evening at the showcase. So thank you, Joe, for showing me off your friend, the microphone. Now we're getting back on our every other introduction schedule that we had originally planned. And I have the great joy of introducing one of the greatest voices that you'll hear anywhere, and certainly one of the greatest voices that we look forward to listening to every year, that of Miss June Link. And Miss Link this year is going to be singing a song about her husband, who you will be hearing later. The title of the oh. song, Can't Help Loving That Man of Mine. Aww. And she is going to be accompanied by the great and versatile Jason Castanguay. Can I hold it? Or? Sing it.
sexy, sultry, and just divine. Thank you, Joan. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. So up next is Herbert Guggenheim from Rockville, Maryland. And um, I just got this little bird that tweeted in my ear that said that um, I should be probably saying Dr. Guggenheim. So, um, so, and he's going to be performing a piece of his original poetry. Eat the mind. All right, I'm testing now. All right. All right, that's better. Okay, well, how many of you have wanted to be famous? <laughs> Clap your hands if you wanted to be famous. Okay, well, when I was young, I wanted to be famous, and I wanted to publish a book very badly. Now I've had two books um, published, and um, I'm still not famous. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I wrote this poem. Sorry about the peas popping. Um, I wrote this poem called apotheosis and apotheosis means becoming saint-like becoming um, you know magnificent uh, you you rise to almost godlike stature and so this poem is called apotheosis and it really has nothing to do with apotheosis at all um, but anyway um, there's uh, three things you need to know. One of them is that Billy Collins is a famous poet. The other is C.K. Williams is a famous poet. And the third thing you need to know is the 92nd Street Y in New York City is where a lot of poets go to read. So here's the poem, Apotheosis. Since it's unlikely that a major publisher, or even a university press for that matter, will ever want to publish my work, I've set myself a more modest goal, to get my poetry manuscript accepted and published by a small independent press, a press that takes pride in its books, a press that stamps abstract art on the cover of each new soft-bound volume, a press that does an initial press run of 250 copies. A press that pays its authors $500 plus 25 free books and 25 free ebook downloads. 
oppressed with a name like Wilting Tower or the Zebra Dolphin Publishing Company. That's all I want. But if there's a writer's conference and I happen to be going over one of my poems with Mr. Billy Collins or Mr. C.K. Williams and one or the other happens to say, these poems are impressive. Have you ever published anything? And I say, well, I have a book out from Wilting Tower Press. And if either Billy C. or CKW says, do you have a copy with you? And as it turns out, I just happen to have one. And I pull it out of my ACB tote bag and say, here, keep it. And either Billy C. or CKW says, thanks. And I think, I might as well just have flushed that book down the toilet. And if seven months later, I'm at home reading Proust, and the phone rings, and it's either Billy C. or CKW, and he says, I read your book, and I'm very impressed. Would you mind if I show it to my publisher? And if I then get an email from some acquisitions editor at Random House saying, this is marvelous work, simply marvelous. Do you have anything new? And if I write back saying, yes, I have a new manuscript almost ready to go. And I send it in and I get an email back that says, your poetry is brilliant. We'd like to offer you a contract. And if the New Yorker starts picking up my work, and if I find myself in Manhattan giving readings at the 92nd Street Y, and I'm subsequently invited to colleges and universities across North America who pay me good money to give 45-minute readings and impart my wisdom to credulous MFA candidates, and if alluring graduate students start throwing themselves at me, and I'm tossed from one wild fling to the next to the next, and if I start drinking, feel fraudulent, and overcompensate by drinking even more, just to forget. And if I get a tenured teaching position that only requires me to teach one advanced poetry writing course every other semester, and I become depressed, and then I write poems about the burdens of being a tenured university professor who's only required to teach one advanced poetry writing course every other semester, and I think about killing myself, but I'm too much of a coward for that. And if I then start snubbing people and getting into nasty spats with other poets, and my third wife sues for divorce, and if I then retire to my house on Maui, because that's the only thing that that battle axe hasn't taken away, if all that should happen as a result of Wilting Tower Press publishing my book, then I'll just have to accept it, won't I? Herb, I have some uh, difficult news for you. Due to the nature of that reading, it's been necessary to call an attorney. 
Our next performer is an attorney from Austin, Texas, Mr. Chris Prentice. And Mr. Prentice in past years has uh, blessed us with uh, several serenades using his very nice voice. But this year, instead of singing, he is going to give us the story of Leroy. Eroy, that's my name, Eroy. Uh, one day when I was in elementary school, the principal called me his office. He said, Eroy, that's my name, Eroy. He said, Eroy, have you ever tried to do something about the way you talk? And I said, no, but it probably wouldn't do any good, and I still wouldn't have any friends. Nobody liked me. He said, well, Eroy, have you ever tried taking your tonsils out of your throat? And I said, no. So the next day, they took me to the hospital. The doctor put me on the operating table. And he crammed his long, hairy arm down my throat and yanked my tonsils out. But it still didn't do any good. I still didn't have any friends, and nobody liked me. So one day, when I was in junior high school, one day the principal called me his office. He said, Eroy, that's my name, Eroy. He said, Eroy. Have you ever tried to do something about the way you talk? And I said, yeah, but it didn't do any good, and I still don't have any friends. Nobody liked me. He said, well, Eroy, have you ever tried taking your tonsils out of your throat? And I said, yeah, but it didn't do any good, and still don't have any friends. Nobody liked me. He said, well, Eroy, have you ever tried taking your adenoids out of your nose? And I said, No. So the next day, they took me to the hospital. The doctor put me on the operating table, and he stuck his long, bony finger up my nose and yanked my adenoids out. But it still didn't do any good. I still didn't have any friends, and nobody liked me. Finally, when I got into high school, one day the principal called me to his office, and he said, Eroy, that's my name, Eroy. He said, Eroy. Have you ever tried to do something about the way you talk? And I said, yeah, but it didn't do any good. And I still don't have any friends and nobody likes me. He said, well, Eroy, have you ever tried taking your tonsils out of your throat? And I said, yeah, but it didn't do any good. And I still didn't have any friends and nobody liked me. He said, well, Eroy, have you ever tried taking your adenoids out of your nose? And I said, yeah, but that didn't do any good either. And I still don't have any friends and nobody liked me. He said, well, Eroy, have you ever tried blowing your nose? And I said, no. And I've been okay ever since. That was great. Thank you so much. Oh. <laughs> Are we ready for the next one, everybody? Yeah, you got us started, right? <laughs> um, I'd like to introduce Pat Tussin and um, Tusing. Sorry, thank you. Um, and Lynn Heddle will be accompanying her. And um, her 
piece is called Blindness is Real. Okay. The poem came first, almost like they do for me, like all at once, and then the song. I think we all know that our potential is infinite. To find peace in the dark of the mind, joy is the power that strength will find. Uneasy are you at the thought that we're blind. Different are we, yet we are the same kind. Blindness is real. In the face of the tough, ain't nothing we can't deal. Blindness is real. Travel by mind to the future once more. Winds of aspiration swing open the door. Success for all. Fairness for me. Help open the path to opportunity. Blindness is real. In the face of the tough, ain't nothing we can't Deal, blindness is real, blindness is real, blindness is real. All right, Pat. You did great. Very nice. Almost hauntingly so. I love that piece. When Pat auditioned, she said, I, I don't know, I've never done anything like this before with my poetry, I've never presented it publicly. And she wanted Lynn to be there in the background just in case she needed some backup voice, but she didn't. That was beautiful, Pat. But now we are going to bring Lynn Huddle onto stage. Lynn has been a stalwart within FIA for many years, and she now has a, a new name. We call her Madam President Lynn Huddle. She's done a wonderful job putting this uh, year's convention together and this showcase, and I think we all ought to give her a hand for that. And she, with the able accompaniment of Jason Castanguay, is going to be gracing us with You Must Believe in Spring. When lonely feelings chill the meadows of your mind Just think if winter comes Can spring be far behind Beneath the deepest snows The secret of a rose Is merely that it knows 
Just as a tree is sure, its leaves will reappear. It knows its emptiness is just the time of year. The frozen mountain dreams of April's melting streams. How crystal clear it seems. You must believe in spring. You must believe in love and trust it's on its way. Just as a sleeping rose awaits the kiss of May. So Next up is Tom Frank from Milton, uh, Milton, Vermont, and he's going to be performing the ABC song. <laughs> on his ukulele. Headed up now, folks. Oh yes, I want to play it on ukulele. Tasting, tasting, one, two, three, yes. Okay, I'm okay. Ah, there we go. Ah, this is a song that I learned when I was three years old, and probably the rest of you did too. It goes A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. Wait, wait a second. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, that's sort of grained in my brain and. And that's wrong, because about a month ago, I decided the song that we were all taught is absolutely wrong. So I figured I better correct it for the record. And it goes A, C, B, D, F, E, G, H, J, I, K, L, M, O, N, P, Q, R, S, U, T, V, W, Y, X and Z. Now I know my ACBs. Now I can forget the NFB. <laughs> <laughs> because 
A-C-B-I-L-O-V-E-U. Everybody. A-C-B-I-L-O-V-E-U. You can do better than that one last time. A-C-B-I-L-O-V-E-U. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to uh, thank a couple of other people I haven't mentioned. Uh, you got to hear about Victor, but there are two, two gentlemen that I met just about two hours ago, and I, I, I'm watching them now. I don't think they have any posteriors left because they've been working their butts off. <laughs> I don't know their last names, but they work for the hotel. They are the sound staff working with the hotel. And their names are Dan and Sean. Did I get that right? Yeah. And as you know, this was kind of a confusing startup, and we couldn't let you in real quick and so on, and y'all milled around and Marjorie and Beeman had to keep order out there and all that sort of thing. But by golly, they have been profoundly professional and hasn't the sound been good on this show so far? Yeah. We don't always get that, and we really appreciate it. We have now come to a time which we call intermission. And I want to remind you that there's a lonely lady or two back there at the bar, and we want you to patronize her liberally during this intermission of about 10 minutes or so, because the more you drink, the better we sound. (laughs) And when we come back, why, Lynn Huddle will start with uh, a little bit of information about FIA and then we'll be turning it back over to my lovely co-host, Miss Ann, Annie, I hope I pronounce this right, Giappetta. I have to really work on that. Excellent job. Thank you, thank yes. you. Yes. Intermission, ladies Avail and gentlemen. Avail yourselves, everybody. The other hand, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's intermission time here on ACB Radio Live event as we're covering the 2019 Friends in Art Showcase. Jeff Bishop is with me here. I'll have to get another mic set up for him. Um, But uh, it's been great, and there's a lot more to come, so stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, and any of the rest of you who... uh, don't fit in one of the other of those categories. Ladies and gentlemen, we will resume the show in five minutes. If you're waiting in line at the bar, please make sure that you go ahead and get your libations, even if you have to listen to the first performer or two while standing at the bar. I'm sure it sounds very good back there as well. Good evening again. Y'all having fun yet? Yeah. Well, there's more to come. It just gets better and better. 
Just wanted to talk to you a second about Friends in Art. We are um, an affiliate of ACB. We support all artistic endeavors and audiences who come to enjoy those endeavors. So we'd love to have you at showcases and all of our other activities. And we'd love to have you as members of our affiliate. You can go to pay your dues on www.friendsinart.com, the website we're kind of working on. Dues are 15 a year. We'd love to have you as a member. We're going to start doing some different things next year, like stuff on Zoom. You never know what we're going to get into. You know, artists, they've always got to be changing things. So we're in, we're in booth number eight in the exhibit area. We have wonderful tote bags this year. Um, please stop by and talk to us. Derek Lane has some audio-related materials. He's one of our um, resident geeks. And he's prepared some things he's willing to part with. And there are some authors who sometimes have their books down there for sale. So please come by 8. And if we're there, we'll, we'll talk to you. There is um, a tote bag that's going to be auctioned off. And it contains, among a few other things, a four-book John Dashney collection. It's in print. But his, um, his son was here. Yeah, I think he has a basement uh, full of, of cartons, so he may be, we may be talking to him. <laughs> so um, anyway, I'm going to um, turn you back over into the capable hands of your co-hosts for the second half of the show. Enjoy. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second half of our show. And uh, as usually happens with uh, these events, there seems like there's always some things to be uh, a little bit changed, a little bit different. If the show was too planned out, it wouldn't be nearly as much fun. I told you that Annie Chiappetta was going to come back and introduce the next act. But we came into a conundrum on that because we had to change the schedule a little bit as to who performed when. And Annie Chiappetta is the next performer, and she didn't want to introduce herself. How about that? (laughs) So I want to say that I have the great honor of introducing my co-host, Annie Chiappetta, from uh, New Rochelle, did I pronounce that right? New York. Yes, you did. She's going to be doing uh, two original poems, and she has a book out, and she may even want to take a time to tell you a little bit about that. I will. Um, actually, I have three books. I have a poetry book, a memoir, and uh, my newest book. Uh, so in order, it's Upwelling Poems, Uh Follow Your Dog, A Story of Love and Trust, and my newest book is Words of Life, Poems and Essays. They're all available in print and on Kindle, and uh, keep your ears out for Audible coming soon. So thank you, everybody. If you've written, I mean, if you've you've read my books, thank you so much. And uh, everybody, you know, keep creative and, and keep writing if you're a writer. So... I'm going to do two pieces of performance poetry. Um, one of them is, is about my guide dogs, 
of course, <laughs> big part of my life. Um, and the other one is a new piece um, about um, something we all have a probably have a love-hate relationship with, so anticipation is a good thing to do. All right, so the first piece is called In Those Dark Moments by Anne Chapetta. In those dark moments when eyesight doesn't matter, where light burns and stars stay undiscovered, the grip of the handle eases the panic like a mother's hand. Warm nose finds the way down the hall, up the stairs, into the store. Like the familiar sounds of morning, the light click of toenails on tile reassures. I grip the handle and follow. The soft jingle of leather and brass and faint canine scent conveys that in those darkest moments, I am not alone. The end. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the next poem is called On the Tip of a Finger. Tap. Flick up. Tap. Flick down. Tap, tap. Use a digit. Drag it around. Press side button. Hello, Siri. Why doesn't she talk? Slide and lift. Thumbs are best to text. Swipe up with index finger. Tap, tap to select. <clears throat> Tippity tap, tap. Doink, doink, doink. Try middle finger gesture instead. <laughs> Spell onomatopoeia. Not ammonia. Swish, swoosh, blunk. Dexterity demands phalanges to execute a pinch or a scrub. Hi, Siri. I didn't say that. Slide and lift. Thumbs are best to text. Swipe up with index finger. Tap, tap to select. The end. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, so Mike is going to prompt me on our next performer because I've forgotten the name. Uh, she, yeah, she's got to switch back files to get to that. And so uh, 
And she, besides, she's got to get out of character after that beautiful presentation. <laughs> I would, I'm glad that second poem, poem was a little bit longer because I had tears in my eyes during, during the first one. I, I guess it just comes from living with a guide dog user and a guide dog, actually several guide dogs, for 40 years. They're kind of nice to have around, aren't they, folks? Oh, yeah. All right. I have the pleasure now of introducing an old friend and a new friend. When I came to an ACB convention in 1985, after not having uh, been to any since I'd been in high school and I'd come with my parents, one of the first people I met was a young lady named Lynn Luoma. Something happened a few years after I knew her, her Luoma turned into a huddle. She got married, but she has been consistently with FIA and has been performing for us uh, beautifully for many years. So she's an old friend, but now I've got a new friend too. I got here this year, and the first thing I was told was uh, my friend Judy Jackson said, Michael, we got to find Mike Tyndall, and then we got to find a piano because we got to rehearse because they did the entertainment the other morning. Uh, the pre-show entertainment on Monday, or no, Sunday, wasn't it, guys? Yeah, Sunday, they did the pre-show, the pre-convention entertainment. And uh, Mr. Tyndall and I ended up then being sent on an errand going shopping for the FIA suite. And Lynn called us about oh, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours later, and said, I just wondered if you guys are all right. What, what's, what's going on? And we said, Lynn, you may regret sending the Mike and the Michael out shopping. <laughs> but we were having a good time and, and entertaining a number of the other shoppers in, uh, what's the name of that store? Wigman's. Wigman's. Wigman's, something like that. We don't have stores quite that fancy in Kansas. <laughs> anyway, Mr. Tyndall of Clearwater, Florida, and Lynn Huddle are going to team up to do a wonderful duet of Always There for Me. And uh, Mr. Tyndall will be playing the accompaniment as the two of them serenade us.
Okay, everybody. Next is Jack Link from St. Louis, Missouri, and he's going to perform Time in a Bottle. I think we should audio describe Jack as he approaches the microphone. And we can figure out then uh, why uh, June can't help loving that man of hers. Jack is wearing a lovely Hawaiian shirt, and he has pineapples and passion fruits 
and big leaves all over his teal shirt. He's there now. If I could save time in a bottle The first thing that I'd like to do Is to save every day Till eternity passes away Is to spend them with you If I could make days last forever wishes come true I'd save every day like a treasure and then again I would spend them with you but there never seems to be enough time to do the things you want to do once you find them Looked around enough to know that you're the one I want to go through time with. If I had a box just for wishes and dreams that had never come true the box would be empty except for the memory of how they were answered by you but there never seems to be enough time to do the things you want to do once you find them Looked around enough to know That you're the one I want to go through time with So um, next up is Karen Itell from Houston with an original composition. You ready, Karen? She's moving that direction. All right. Karen was uh, Karen was saying before uh, the show that she wondered if she should provide a verbal explanation of uh, the song and the writing of the song. And I pointed out to her that George Winston or uh, Tom Jones or uh, Yanni or some of those pianists who compose a lot of their own stuff don't have to explain it all because it stands on its own as a good piece of music. And she 
kind of took that as a compliment, so I think she's just going to play it. And she should have taken it as a, at, it as a compliment. Very nice piece. That was beautiful. But now we're going to, well, folks, we're going to turn Rick Belcher of St. Louis, Missouri, and Merle Schechter of Windsor Hill, Maryland, loose. And I, I don't know how to go about introducing this. Uh, <laughs> I, I can almost insure, assure you that you've never heard anything quite like it. got a hairball. <laughs> I think it happened because when Rick came up to audition, he was chasing a feline around the FIA suite, and there's cat hair all over now. So we want to introduce the Leave My Kitten Alone Blues, and uh, Rick's going to accompany them, and I'm not going to tell you what uh, Merle's going to do. You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Thank you. 
getting along. gentlemen um it's been great co-hosting this showcase uh it's my first showcase that i've ever hosted ever <laughs> and if if it wasn't for um michael byington i probably wouldn't be doing as well as i've been doing he's been a wonderful mentor and i just met the guy like a few days ago and it's just been wonderful um so I, i'm very pleased to um to tell you the next person coming up for performance is Michael Byington. And um, he's doing an original piece, so take it away, maestro. Well, okay, I'm going to explain just a little bit of background here. Now that I'm a certified orientation and mobility specialist, seems like my clients are always asking me about self-driving cars. I had a student a couple of years ago who was a high school student, and he had some other disabilities besides blindness. One day he said, you know, Mr. Byington, I don't have to listen to anything you do say or do anything with this cane because I'm going to get a self-driving car, and it's just going to take me anywhere I want to go. 
Well, I started doing research on self-driving cars and how that was really going so I could answer my students' questions. And I read that Uber was using self-driver cars in, in a number of cities, but they have a, a human being in the car that takes over if they don't like what the car is doing. So there, there is, uh, and, and so far, the drivers intervene six to eight times per trip, usually. So they still got some bugs to work out of the self-driving software. Well, I got to wondering what would happen if the human driver and the self-driving car had a disagreement. <laughs> so I put together this little ditty about that, and Mr. Jason Castanguay has been so kind to replace my wife as my accompanist. I, I work fast. I managed to get another <laughs> Ann to accompany me. And, oh, oh well, never, never mind. But anyway, not really. <laughs> but I, I appreciate Jason's great work, and I'll try to... I was going to have the words in my other hand just in case I forgot them, but I think I can get through this. So let's give it a try. All right. <laughs> I am a new self-driving Uber car I came to get you cause you texted where you are I had, I have a human driver riding along He's supposed to take over if I do something wrong But there was too many times when we did not agree of his constant coaching, I had to be free. So I took off without him when he went to pee. <laughs> now I make my decisions with electronic glee. You said to take you to the hardware store. You had furniture repairs to make galore. You said that you needed a screw for your bed. Yeah, you guessed it. So I took you across town to the whorehouse instead. You said that that was not what you had in mind. A screw to take home was what you needed to find. So I took you where ladies walk up and down the street. Searching for gentlemen they'd like to meet. You said, you just take me to the hardware store. I don't want to ride around the town anymore. So I decided to take you where you wanted to go. Even though I was not sure that you really did know. You said you told me to wait in the parking lot. So a space by the door was what I sought. But I found no parking place that was acceptable to me. So I decided to drive around recreationally. A kid in a car said to his mommy, There's nobody driving that car that I see. I guess that that driver's the invisible man. He's my superhero, I'm really a fan. So the kid got in my backseat at a traffic light. He said, let's go racing, much to my delight. 
So I went up an off-ramp to see what was up there. There were cars coming the other way, but I didn't care. This got me stopped by the local police, who said that my self-driving habits just had to cease. Let's see, now what did it go for the, who said that my self-driving habits just had to cease, yeah. They tried to tow me and to put me in jail, but their efforts there, they were doomed to fail. They had no jail cells sufficiently immense, so they put me in an impound lot behind a tall fence. Meanwhile, you came out with your sacks of hardware. You were looking for me, but I could not be there. You must understand a self-driving car can't be found. If it's trapped behind a fence, sequestered in impound. Now the use of self-driving cars is something you have bemoaned. You prefer human drivers Even when they're stoned All right. <laughs> Thank you, Michael And Jason Oh, okay um, actually, we our next person coming up, I heard, this is her first national convention, Julia Kalak. Yeah? All right. She is, uh, she's here, and she's going to be on her way to, and she's going to do her rendition of um, Shenandoah. So, yeah. Shenandoah, I long to see you.
In, in tandem here. Beautiful. Julia, that was lovely. Oh. If only I can get off the stage. <laughs> like the Wicked Witch of the West from Kansas, I'm melting. <laughs> that was beautiful. Yes. I now, for a change of pace, have the pleasure of introducing Mr. Tim Cummings of Boston, Massachusetts. And he's going to uh, grace us with everything happens to me. And he is a, going to be accompanied by Mr. Jason Castanguay.
Thank you. Great job, Jason. Great job. Very nice. Okay. Um, Mr. Paul Schroeder, Silver Springs, Maryland. It's your turn. He's going to be performing the Ballad of Eddie Klepp. Talk amongst yourselves while we get set up here. So I'll just do a little uh, intro. Um, a couple of years ago, we celebrated the 70th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's integrating baseball. Great story, real hero. There's other stories from that era, some that don't get told as much. See well, how you guys want to check the uh, the balance. We good? So anyway, I'm going to do one uh, from the uh, a story from a different side of that uh, era. As soon as they tell me we're good, to, we good? All right. Well, the war had finally ended. America had changed. We had beaten back the Nazis. But the Jim Crow laws remained And there was talk of stage and marches Talk of civil rights And there was talk about the black man Playing baseball with the whites Well, he walked into the clubhouse The card players quit playing Everybody stopped in the middle of whatever they were saying It was just like when the sheriff Walks into the saloon He said, my name is Eddie As he looked around the room This man is here to play baseball The manager said to the team uh, We're all gonna have to live with that oh, That's not what I mean You know what I mean And they all did it went without saying Card players slicked up their hands And they went on with their playing Well, they ran him off the field Before a game in Birmingham one night Made him sit up in the grandstands In the section marked for whites In his Cleveland Buckeyes uniform It was a new twist on the law the marshals kept their eyes on him and the hecklers ate him raw. Eddie Klepp, he should have run the bases in reverse. A white man in the Negro Leagues, well, that had to be a first. He couldn't ride the same buses. He couldn't sleep in the same hotels. He couldn't eat at the same restaurants. He couldn't have mixed clientele. So while Jackie played for Brooklyn and wore the Dodger blue, 
Eddie crossed the color line, the one without a cue. A white man in the Negro Leagues, well, he did what he had to do. And now you mention the name of Eddie Clepp, and most everyone says, who? All with the lost guitar strap. Sorry about that. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> All right, I guess it's my turn again, isn't it? Let's see here. I got on the wrong page somehow. Gotta fix this crazy list. We're almost over to the last page now, yeah. Yes, indeed. I have the pleasure to close out our evening tonight of introducing someone who has already done yeoman service as a performer, but since we have asked Jason Castanguay to make everybody else sound good, which he has ably done. Yes, Jason. I think it's time that we let Jason strut his stuff and do one by himself. dozen starlight and a dozen roses too and then you let it rise for a hundred years or two and that's the recipe for making love oh you don't need sugar cause it's already sweet and you don't need an oven cause it's got a lot of heat they're just added kisses to make it all complete and that's the recipe for making love and if you've got it right you'll know it it's not like anything you've made before And if you've got it wrong, you'll know it Cause it won't keep you coming back for more oh, I didn't get it from my grandma's book on a shelf I didn't get it from a magical or culinary elf A little birdie told me you can't make it by yourself And that's the recipe for making love The culinary elf A little birdie told me you can't make it by yourself And that's the 
you so much. Oh, Jason, that was wonderful. Woo! How about it for all of our performers tonight? They all did a wonderful job. Wow, excellent. I want to thank everybody for coming. I want to thank for everybody who helped, um, and especially to the people on the stage um, that would, you know, that just were here to support everybody um, and our our invisible help, <laughs> Sean and what was the other guy's name? Oh, uh, oh, Sean and Dan. Sean and D Dan, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and it's Jason and um, everybody. So, thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, I think the bartender is still back there for a few minutes. And I don't have know about drink, the rest everybody. of you, but I've got to go back and have one or two martinis. 